Our reading you can find on page 208, and it's in the book of Deuteronomy and the 30th chapter, and I'll be reading from verse 11, in which Moses explains what commitment means from God's perspective. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commandment commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. The second lesson is to be found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, beginning to read at verse 36, and you can find this on page 997 in the Church Bibles. Matthew, chapter 26. Verse 36. Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is weak, willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning all. I'm Simon. Lovely to see you if you're new here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word today is not beyond our reach and you have a vision for us to choose life. Help us choose life, we pray, that the world may believe you are Lord to your eternal glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want, first of all, to introduce you to my trainers. I brought my trainers with me this morning because I thought as a church we should all start jogging together and that'd be really fun, wouldn't it, really? No, no, no. I wanted to bring these trainers to you today because it's about God is saying choose life and you know keep fit is all part of being alive and you know well and healthy and all that sort of thing. <coughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, but um, what I want to share with you a bit to begin with is my soul. No, 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 no. Um, oh, poor Esther, groaning here, groaning inwardly. Um, is the fact that when I went to buy these, my other ones on holiday fell in water. And the smell was horrendous. I mean, horrendous. I just couldn't bring them back. Otherwise, I think they would have thought it was an international alert or something. Anyway, so I had to leave them when we were on holiday. And I had to buy some new ones. But I had to go into a shop to buy these new trainers. And I don't know if you've done this recently, but it is utterly overwhelming. I mean, there were four walls of trainers. And I just went in to buy a pair of trainers. But then a really helpful assistant comes to me and says, oh, what are you going to be using them for? Do you need air underneath in the soles? Do you need this? Do you need that? What kind of price are you looking for? Do you need Nike? Do you need Dunlop? Do you need... And the whole thing just opened up before me. And I felt myself swirling around almost in the midst of the choice, that this was one choice I had to make as to which trainers out of the hundreds before me I should actually buy. I chose these ones because they were quite cheap, actually, and they were a special offer. But anyway... <laughs> I'll leave them here for the moment. Just talk to the person next to you about something you've had to choose recently. You've had to make a choice about something. What would that be? Just briefly now, what have you chosen recently? It could be something quite serious, it could be something quite frivolous, like buying trainers. 
We all in life have to make choices, you see, every day. Now, if you're struggling at the moment with a choice of which vacuum cleaner to buy, go and see Sandy. Sandy is a world expert on which vacuum cleaner to buy. Sandy has struggled with vacuum cleaners and now has come out good, we hope, with the right vacuum cleaner that she knows how to work and everything. If you're discovering which Sky Channel or which Sky Company or which phone company, see Liz. She's been researching it brilliantly. You can get Sky for £192, but you get £192 in Marks and Spencer's vouchers. Isn't that amazing? She only paid 25p. That's the deal on at the moment. Interesting. Oh, you're all going off now, running for Sky. There are so many choices. Perhaps it's what food you eat. Is it fat-free? Is it semi-fat-free? Is it full-fat? Which phone are you going to buy? Which phone? Is it Samsung? Is it iPhone? Is it going to have apps on it? What apps are you going to have? Which computer are you going to buy? We're thinking that in church at the moment. Which computer are you going to buy? I'm talking very quickly. What social media? Am I going to be on Facebook? Will I Twitter? Will I Instagram? Will I pin something? What is it? Pin what? Pinterest. Will I Pinterest? I have no interest in Pinterest. But anyway, you might. This is a choice we have to do. We are in so many ways overwhelmed today, beautifully, by the choices that we have to make. And we, in a sense, have become professional consumers. And the economy booms because we buy things. It's very important. And people get jobs. And even here, as David Rowe was saying, I had to think about where were my trainers made? Were they being made by children in Indonesia? Big question. Did I know that? I asked the assistant. He didn't seem to know. Ethical buying is an important choice. And it's not that choice is a bad thing. Our freedom to choose or self-determination was a great word used in the 80s when the Falklands were attacked by Argentina. They had the right to self-determination, as it were. And there's been many battles fought over our right to choose. And Henry Nouwen, in his book on the return of the prodigal, writes, God in his love takes the great risk with us of giving us choice of giving us free will. The prodigal chooses to leave his father, has a great time, then ends up in a pigsty, and then ends up back home with the party of all parties. Recently, Emma has been making a choice as to whether or not she goes and does this walk called the Camino de Compostela to Santiago in Spain, 800 kilometers. Parents, it's really difficult sometimes to stand back from your children's choices. Because Emma's doing this walk on her own. She's 23, she's a woman, and she's in Spain. No offence, no feminist kind of, you know, what's the word, sexism here. But as a dad, I'm entitled to feel that, that concern. And we, we struggle sometimes with how much do we interfere with choices that people make, especially sometimes our children. She's doing it, and it's great. And she's met people on the way, and we're mighty relieved. The first night she arrived, she was put in a room with three men. I was on a plane. I was on a plane to go and meet her. <laughs> but all has worked out well with the choice that she has made. And sometimes choices are really difficult and we hold back from them. But God gives us choice. But as I look to Emma and some of the choices she's made and the fear of that, I wonder if that's how God looks at us. God Almighty, sovereign and outside time. Throughout the Bible, we've seen the story of people who've dedicated themselves to him, really committed to him. Like the last night at New Wine, yes, I'm following Christ. And then there are moments later when we fall away and we fail and we turn away and we simply go our own way, do our own thing. We choose death. We prefer to make our own way, the way of all flesh. 
And in our reading from the Old Testament, God in his mercy and experience of us puts before the tribes of Israel just one choice. Choose life. And the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament in chapters 27 to 30 preserves the tradition that Moses began before his death had drawn up from, to form of a simple ceremony where the Israelite tribes were to renew their commitment to God. And here we are at the beginning of a new term, a new sort of feel about things, our commitment, our allegiance to God. Now imagine this. They would muster on the main pass across the central mountain range where it was guarded by the ancient fortress of Shechem. Half the people, like this side here, would be on the north of the mountain, and half of the people would be on the south side of the valley, while the ministers of God, the leaders, walk through the valley, and they intone the solemn blessings that will reward the people for their obedience, but also things that were before them if they chose to go their own way and neglect God and his commandments. But in the final analysis, as Des read, the choice before them was simple. It was not beyond their reach. It was not so high they couldn't attain to it. It wasn't written in some strange language or in some form of cult worship, which means about going to the sea. It was written so simply by God that it was this. It's a matter of life and death. Choose life, God says. And so even the most religiously uninformed, the most earthy among them could grasp, could grasp what was at stake here. Now I am commanding you today, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Will you listen to God's voice today? Will you hearken to it, as the old Bible tells us? Will you listen to him, and will you hold fast? The most important choice we have to make in this life is to choose to be alive and live. And we can only be fully alive if that is about believing in God. Or, of course, we can choose to reject him. That's why this is a matter of life and death. And as we listen to the words of our reading, we dare not forget that this is being lived out right now in many places in the world, not least in northern Iraq, where I received an email from a, a Christian team out there who was still there, even though the United Nations team had left in northern Iraq, where... Christians were being asked to convert to Islam. And if they didn't, the first people who were killed were their children. Their children were executed for their belief in Jesus Christ. It's a real issue. It's a real matter on our hearts as brothers and sisters of Christ. This life and this death challenge. And the whole purpose of this ceremony recorded in Deuteronomy. The whole purpose of our coming together on Sunday for our Vision Sunday service is to remind us, to remind God's people of what he has done to encourage us, to inspire us, to put a fire in our bellies that will make us hold fast and keep listening to his voice in a world where his voice is trying to be silenced and sometimes silenced so powerfully 
that people's cries who are praising God no longer praise him. And we have to choose. We have to choose to keep God at the center of all our other choices. So let's, as we come to communion, remind ourselves of what he chose to do for us, his grace poured out. For our church has a vision, a vision to be a home of grace in the heart of the city. I ask you then, people of God in Walcott, choose this day. Choose to remember his grace, to live in his truth. His grace Let's look at that. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me, Walcott. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus has a choice to make. Does he take the cup? Does he drink it? Or does he, like the other disciples, just run away in the night? And there is, I believe, real choice for Jesus now. It's life or it's death. But in order for life to fully come, Jesus has to choose death that we might live. And the cup in ancient times was like the electric chair in America today. The cup did not represent just any kind of death in general, but it was a judicial death in particular. Socrates took the cup, filled with poison, and died. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all use the word cup, and it implies that Jesus knows he's going to be executed, but it means much more than just the physical torture he's going to go through in the pain. He's about to experience the full divine wrath of God on evil, and upon the sin of all of us as humanity. And the judicial wrath of God is about to pour itself onto Jesus and into his heart, rather than come upon us, because we simply couldn't bear it. And what is this about? It is about judgment. And the judgment of God in the Bible is unbelievably fair. It is an utterly natural consequence. The essence of sin is, I do not want to have God in my life. And the essence of God's judicial wrath is to give us exactly what we ask for. And the Bible tells us as well that we are created, we are built by God for relationship with him, to enjoy his presence. And this is what truly brings us to life, not just bios life, but zoe life, spiritual life, where we're physically alive as well as spiritually alive. And the two things are just a celebration of the life of God, the God that breathed ruach breath at the very beginning into man and Eve and said, live. And we still need that breathed into us. Come tonight, receive it. Come to the communion table. Keep receiving this life that God gives. But here is Jesus in one garden on a dark night, and in another garden at the beginning of all things, a choice was given. Do I eat or not eat of the fruit of the tree of life? And because the fruit was eaten, a firm no was said to God, and the relationship Adam and Eve had with him changed. They became aware of nakedness and shame and hid, and a barrier came between God 
and between them and us, and it was broken. And we are all, as C.S. Lewis would say, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Mr. Beaver, I love Mr. Beaver. Their no has an effect upon us all. Their rebellion, just as a prodigal father said to him, I wish you were dead, father, because I want your money now so I can go and live. And we choose to rebel against him and say no. And here on earth today, we're aware of that in the world. We may be aware of it even in our church. Even those of you this morning who disbelieve, who flee from God, are completely cut off from him. And Paul says that in God, we live and move and have our being. And he was speaking to some of the brightest thinkers of his days. And you're the brightest thinkers of our day here, aren't you? Thought you're all nodding here. Yeah. Really bright this morning. Well done. The great philosophers of Paul's days. But those people didn't know God as Paul knew God. And Paul himself, as we heard in the prayers, rebelled against God. The God revealed in Christ who'd come to save the world. But then he has this wonderful experience on the road to Damascus where he's blinded in order to see. That's an odd thing, isn't it? That's what God does sometimes. But what Paul means in this, we live and move and have our being, is he meant that even though they did not acknowledge the God of the Bible, he, God, is still upholding our lives in ways we simply cannot see. And the very breath you've just taken is due to the mercy of God who gave it, whether you acknowledge him or not. And Jesus, in agony in Gethsemane, begins the journey to heal the brokenness, the disbelief. And yet in him there was no sin, no brokenness in his relationship with the Father. If I were to lose the love of a friend, that would be painful. If I were to lose the love of my children or Anne, that would be infinitely more painful. Because the longer, the deeper the relationship, the more searing the pain when it is severed. But the son's perfect relationship with the father is as far beyond my love, my love relationship with Anne, my wife, as an ocean is beyond a dewdrop. And this is what Jesus is losing as he enters the garden on the night before his death. We are thinking we are so a people of grace. And here in the dark, with his disciples asleep at Jesus' deepest point of need, when Jesus could have easily so slipped away, the Father reveals to him what is about to happen. No one will ever face suffering like this in order to love. And so no one ever loved like this. And Jonathan Edwards writes this, and you're going to have to choose to stay with it. Choose to stay with me, everybody, now, because it's really important. The agony of Jesus Christ was caused by a vivid, bright, full, immediate view of the wrath of God. God the Father, as it were, set the cup down before him, which was vastly more terrible than Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. He now had a near view of the furnace into which he was about to be cast. He stood and he viewed the, flaming, the raging flames and the glowings of its heat, that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. He felt what Ezekiel said, you shall drink the cup of ruin and desolation and tear your breasts. He felt what Isaiah said, that you will drink the cup of his wrath, the bowl of staggering. Jesus is staggering in Gethsemane at the moment. And Christ was going to be cast into a dreadful furnace of wrath, and it was not proper that he should plunge himself into it blindfold, as not knowing how dreadful the furnace was. Therefore God brought him and set him at the mouth of the furnace, 
that he might look in and stand and view its fierce and raging flames and might see where he was going and might voluntarily enter into it and bear it for us, knowing what it was. And if Jesus Christ did not full know before he took it and drunk it, it would not properly have been his own act as a human being. But when he took that cup, knowing what he did, so was his love to us infinitely more wonderful and his obedience to God infinitely more perfect because he took, because he chose to take the cup. And God set the cup in front of Jesus, as it were, and let him smell it and taste it when it was still possible for Jesus to pull away, to choose to protect himself. In effect, the father was saying, here's the cup you're about to drink. Here is the furnace in which you're about to be cast. See these friends of yours sleeping over there? If they are to be saved, there is no other way. Either they perish or you perish. See how terrible the heat is. See what pain and anguish you must endure. Is your love for them and for me so great that you will go on and take it? And Edwards imagines that Jesus could have looked at his disciples who could not even stay awake and said with complete justice and warrant, why should I, who have been living from all eternity in the enjoyment of the Father's love, go to cast myself into such a furnace for them that, can, that never can requite me for it? Why should I yield myself to be thus crushed by the weight of divine wrath for them who have no love for me and are my enemies? They do not deserve any union with me and never did and never will do anything to recommend themselves to me. He could rightly have said this, but he didn't. That was not the language of his heart, the language of grace. Instead, he said to God, Thy will be done. That's a big, big reading from a big, big man because it's a big, big God who's doing a big, big thing for us. And we have to choose. We have to choose to see Christ in the darkness and see the love that he's pouring into us so that we may be melted into the very likeness of Christ as people of grace because we've received so much grace from this man who chose to take the cup and drink it. With all the choices you and I have to make, as we come to communion, we can never forget the choice he made for us, the grace he chose to pour into brokenness. He chose to drink the judicial cup and to drink it to the dregs and die, that we might not have to drink it. Thanks be to God. And this is the grace that pours into our home of grace. We live under people, we're people who live under a choice. Christ chose to die for us. And as a church, we cannot fail to offer this choice to the world. The choice of the world of accepting or rejecting him. And we explored this at Lee a church with our walls, but we have to choose to do this. And I was reading in a paper written some 23 years ago that said by far the largest percentage of the congregation do not live in the parish of Walcott and therefore have no relationship with it. So we can all go to sleep where we are because we don't live. We can be the disciples and think, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't have to worry. 
I don't have a relationship with this. So how, dear flock of Walcott, how do we pour out this grace that we so wonderfully receive that we're going to come here and have? Where Christ has taken the choice of death and life and given us life. How do we take that out? You do it in your daily lives, the interaction that happens, your response to the different things that are going on in the world, where people are asking you the questions, bring them to Alpha, bring them to Alpha. There are many questions going on in the world at the moment. How can God allow this suffering? What is happening to the world? Is the world falling apart? Bring them to Alpha, bring them to the choice of choosing life. For you know, you live under the bigger story that you were created in love, redeemed through sacrifice, and one day there's going to be the party that's going to end all parties. We live under that. Many people don't even know that. In the despair and hopelessness of the world, they have no hope. Are you taking it out? With who you sit next to at work, with who you meet at the school gate, with who you meet at the U3A club, with who you meet at the film night club, whatever. It's the grace pouring out of the choice that Christ made for you. Is it pouring out? At Snow Hill, we're choosing to bring life we thank God for the team who God has grown to help rejuvenate that work and ministry that God is doing in that place. We're seeking to bring life in the building itself, but also in the community that live and work there. There are many decisions to make. One the PCC has chosen to make is that we will apply for lottery funding because many people in Bath and on Snow Hill buy lottery tickets and they never get anything. They have this hope that something good is going to happen. Their lives are going to change. Their dreams are going to come true. And week by week, it doesn't happen. We haven't heard that it's happened. So I want some of that money that they give to do good for them in helping build a place where they can build relationship, break down fear, and be filled with the life of Christ. I want to choose life, and I want everybody in Bath to work towards that, where people are working together to bring life to a community that is lived out in a building we need buildings because it rains in Britain. I'm sorry. We do. But we can do this together. We mustn't be afraid. God uses all kinds of people to work his purposes out. And we must pray. And we will be on October the 11th and on the 12th where we'll be meeting in Snow Hill. Because we need to pray that we are following God. And we want to choose life in this area. Is it, are you committed to that? Have you got your boots on for it? Are you concerned about it? And then the school. We want to choose to bring abundant life to the school. The school that's now just started a new term that has come to life in amazing creative ways. Some people are here who go to the school. We have a link with the school. We have foundation governors. We do assemblies. But there's more that we can be doing to reach out into that community and say, choose life. Choose life. Life in all its fullness. And may God give you that, where you too may want to join in that, be it through the Reading Army, be it through some other initiatives we're seeking to do there in the coming year and the years beyond, where we're building relationship and asking the school, do you want to choose life, to choose a life in Christ? With the cafe ministry, with the cafe ministry that's going on here through toddlers, through Men Behaving Dadly, through Cafe Life, through Alpha, through all the people who stream in, through the bookings that come into this place, and we think, why are they here, these people who come and mess up the chairs? Why do we have them? I met one person recently, not a believer, I don't think, but who came and asked me to go and visit his dad because his dad's dying. And his dad 
has chosen life, life of Christ, because we opened the building. Do you get this, people of Walcott? That we're not just opening the building, we're just opening people's hearts to God and saying, come in, come in, choose life, please. This is what we're here for. Come into the home. Come into the home of God and live. Do you get this? This is what we do. This is who we are. It's not somebody else. We thank God for Mike, but he can't do it on his own. And we thank God for the team of volunteers. But do you get why? We know what we're doing, but why we're doing it? With a lady whose funeral I did, she comes in most weeks, sits in here, goes down to the cafe, and there's a door opening. Do you see what I mean? People who wouldn't even know there's choices before them. In all the choices we have in the world, have they made that choice of choosing life or death? With the world mission, worldwide, we're sending people out with that message of choose life. And we're hoping next year, in November, to send a team from here to the warehouse in South Africa. We need to pray about that. It's not cheap cycling to South Africa. Cheaper than flying. So how are we going to get people there? How are we going to bring people back from South Africa to Snow Hill? To share what they do and how they do things. Because we live in a global community now. Where we have brothers and sisters in South Africa. Do we know them? Are we in relationship with them? How do they make the choice of choosing life where they are that can help inspire and encourage us? And all our other mission partners, such as Mike and Jenny, who we encourage. The gatehouses who will be here at the end of September. It's such a wonderful ministry of choosing life that is going out from this place. Doreen Smith has gone north to Yorkshire with life and going around people in shops choosing life. Have they chosen? She had a great gift to give us before going. We're nearly there, everybody. There is lunch here today, don't worry. She said, trust God. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. That was Winston Churchill, but she was quoting him. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Moses saying to the children of Israel, never give up. Remain committed. Remain full out for God. Margaret Tews. Margaret Tews had a stroke on Tuesday. On Sunday, I was praying with her. When she prays, it's like the whole of heaven opening. She knows who she is praying to. She was giving thanks to God for his faithfulness to her. For his faithfulness to this community called Walcott. She was there in that room, praying that, before you all came last week. She's 87, I think. And she's still praying to God. She's still faithful. She has a stroke and goes into hospital. And she cannot speak now. She cannot speak. And so we started to read a book. The book is Pilgrim's Progress. And I went last night and read chapter four. It's a book all about choices. A story full of opportunity to give up and to go back home. But there is a choice made by Pilgrim to keep going to the end of the journey. We cannot, we dare not turn back, turn away from the message of life and death in Christ. As much as people in Britain would want us to. This is the choice Walcott put before us. It is a matter of life and death. Not only in Iraq but here too. And are we aware of that? Are we choosing that for ourselves in this post-Christian, post-modern Britain where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth? How do we proclaim the truth 
through all these different ways in this parish and beyond and out into the world. We, the tribe of God here in Walcott, must never give up, never surrender on believing the grace by which we've been saved. Please, God, don't let us forget the agony in the garden where the choice was made by Christ that we should live. Let us not stop living and living full out for God. And God calls, says to us, choose life. And he calls us to go and tell other people to choose life. And I want to know, have you got your boots on? Have you got your running shoes on? Are you prepared to run into the world with this good news, with this hope? There's a lot of choice out there, a lot of choice. But there is but one choice, really, that matters, and it's a matter of life and death. Put your running shoes on. Run the race, and at the end you'll receive a crown of glory. Faithful servant, good and faithful servant, you too may run into the joy, the joy of your Lord. This is what we're about here. This is what we do. We offer life to people, the life of God revealed in Christ, empowered by his Spirit. Join in, jump in, put your boots on. Hallelujah. Amen.